If you want to know what impact AI is having in businesses, like literally with the people that are working inside businesses today, worried or excited about AI, this is the episode for you. Welcome to a very special episode of A Lot Going On. Because we are remote, I'm in London at the moment, Vic is in Dubai. We have less time and we thought, what do we do with less time? Let's make these episodes a little bit more narrow and just focus on one subject area for a particular kind of person in our listenership. And of course, we have a huge following as a percentage of our listeners that are involved in business. And one of the biggest subjects and subject areas that we've been speaking about to them is the subject of AI. So bit of a backstory of about a year and a half ago, we were pulled into the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And over that last year and a half, Vic and I have written a program called AI Enabled Content Production. The course is doing super well. It's available to people to buy on a per seat basis where you join a mixed group of other executives or your company can buy a whole group booking and just bring the whole company in. So we'll talk about that dynamic, you know, whenever we need to, but more today, what we want to talk about is the commonalities between those two group dynamics and specifically what kind of questions are people asking when it comes to AI's impact on their industry, their company and their individual role. So. It's an exciting format for us, Vic, because I think this is something that for us on a day-to-day -day basis, we're getting asked so many questions about this that we're like, we should probably just carve out an episode episode of the podcast and just go all in on this subject. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because the feedback that we get is there's like almost like an equal amount of fear and an equal amount of positivity. So people are thinking about this as there's an opportunity here with AI for themselves personally and for their business. But there's also this fear of, you know, the extreme of will it take over the world, but what's going to happen to me? What if I don't catch up? What if I can't utilize it properly in my role in my business? And will I fall behind? So this is a really good opportunity for us to kind of maybe dispel a lot of that and actually provide people with like some real kind of strategic advice on how to not fall behind and how to like kind of go, okay, think about AI as something that's positive and something that's going to really just help and enhance whatever you do in business. So probably a good place to start, you know, AI has been around for quite some time, but, you know, really kind of shot up in the last couple of years and a lot has changed, a lot of moving parts, a lot of developments. So maybe kind of just start with a bit of a state of the union. So where is AI today and how should people kind of at a very high level be thinking about AI? So I'm going to pick up on what you were saying there, which is that primarily the first things first when it comes to AI or any kind of technology shift, which is that people do think about the technology selfishly, which is what opportunities is this technology going to give me personally and what threats could this opportunity direct at me personally? So the number one thing, and this is totally normal, especially if you're listening and you feel this way, is this technology has come along. It does feel like a big shift. How's it going to affect me? Now, we've had other shifts come along in the past. So definitely the last couple of years, there was a lot of focus on crypto. as like the next big technology shift and paradigm. And then prior to that, virtual reality. And we've seen a mixture of other kind of like B and C category technology shifts come along where people think, hmm, this could be quite impactful. From our perspective, when we talk about the State of the Union, we try to separate on this program that AI is different because it's the beginning of a new age. And the beginning of the new age that we're talking about is the intelligence age. 
So if this is the beginning of a new age, what are some of the ages that came before it? Well, they're very recognizable. The first age that came along was the information age, which was everything from like a town crier standing on a stump of a tree in your village, letting you know how many eggs the local chickens have laid and just a whole bunch of trivial stuff, who's got married, who's died, all that kind of stuff. And then that information, which is static, eventually made its way to you know, papyrus and paper and newspapers, and that's the industry that we know well. Then, of course, in the mid-90s, we entered the application age, which is an application or an app, as we call it today on our smartphone, takes different pockets of information and conveniently assembles them together for the benefit of the human being. So the information about where a taxi is, the information about where you are and where you need to go, and the information about your credit card details all put into an application gives you Uber. And so you press a button on the application, the car gets signaled, you're somewhere, comes and picks you up, takes you to wherever you need to go. As you step out of the car, the application seamlessly debits your uh, card. The next era that we're going into is the intelligence age, where the same way that an application could take multiple bits of information and make itself useful, the intelligence age is when an intelligence like an AI service or an AI app can do the job of multiple apps. And as a result of that, a use case may be something along the lines of an all-present, all-data-consuming, all-insightful app. So Mustafa Suleiman, who I spent a bit of time with last summer at Collision Conference, uh, is working out on an app called Pi, which is personal AI. So this is not out yet, but where this is going is... It's effectively like a personal assistant or that kind of like angel guiding angel on your shoulder that would take everything that's going on in your world and say, this is how you can make a decision as a human being. So an example might be that you get an invite, Vic, to a wedding in Tuscany and you're looking at, you know, a lot of different information and and you've got information in your, your son's school app about his uh, coursework and things that he's got to hand in. You've got information in your wife's business schedule. You've got, you know, maybe stuff to do with passports running out, immunization shots that you might need to get. I'm just, you know, throwing things in for the sake of like filling out the cocktail glass a bit. But what personally I would be able to do is say, okay, I've factored everything in that's going on in your world and also tell you that, you know what, I kind of do regard these guys as quite good friends. Like on a, on a relative basis, you message them more than other people. So, you know, if you are really thinking about it, you're in two minds, if you can go or not, I can tell you that you can go, but here's what else is happening, Vic. There's also a conference two days before, which is only 25 miles outside of Tuscany. And if you decide to attend that conference, these are some of the people that you'll meet there. 40% of them you've met before. You've got active email strings with 20% of that 40%, which are working on deals that are at the 75% mark. Oh, and by the way, if you decide to go along to this conference, the flight in and out of Italy will be a tax write-off because you're going for business reasons. So what you do in between is effectively not costing you out of pocket when it comes to attending the wedding, you know, save for things like wedding gifts and stuff like that. So this is where AI spells the beginning of a new, uh, a new era. But that's my next point about this, which is that it really is the beginning of a new era. So if we're talking about a, you know, if we're talking about a relay race, we've just hit, We've just heard like the starter gun go off. We're in the beginning of the first relay run of the first runner. So 
the ironic thing about teaching AI is that they come to you for advanced learnings, but you have to declare quite early on that this is the equivalent of us sitting down together in 1995, 1996, and being like, so this internet thing's come along. What are we going to do with it? How's it going to affect our business? And in that time, the internet had not kind of permeated into phones yet. Uh, people didn't even have broadband, so that shift hadn't happened. And so you have to let people know that it's very, very early on. And the number one thing that I try to convey to people is that this is a moving target. You are getting on a moving train. Do not expect that everything that I'm teaching you right now or the insights or analogies or metaphors that we're using right now will be relevant in three to six months time. And a perfect example of that is the fact that six months ago when I started teaching this course to the public, which was the back end of 2023, every single month that I presented the course, I've had to update it based on new apps coming along. And some of the shifts that we've seen are that apps that were originally free shifted to becoming paid because a lot of these apps that are very narrow use case apps, like I'll make you an image, I'll make you a video. A lot of them point back to OpenAI, which is the creator of ChatGPT, and they own the actual language model, the actual magic box that does the AI. So they have an inherent cost of doing these calls, uh, what these API calls back to OpenAI. So they've got an inherent cost and they can only cover that cost for so long. And in that time, they try to acquire as many customers as possible onto their platform. But certainly now that the tech world has shifted and you can't get money for free anymore, like you used to be able to uh, a year and a half ago, you know, from, from venture, venture capital companies and things like that, these tech companies are growing up in the dark. They're growing up in much colder, uh, more heartless environments when it comes to like seeing an ROI on the kind of business that they're raising. And the venture community and the finance community don't care whether you're working on the next big thing. They just care about returns. So what's happened as a result of that is that a lot of these mavericks and front runners uh, like Stability AI and Runway ML and all these other companies that were making a big deal about you being able to use their, their apps for free, their AI apps for free as a way of activating you, now have limited the free use of how much you can use them. So you may get like a certain amount of credits when you join a new app. Whereas before you'd be able to go for as long as you wanted. On the flip side, now that the large actors in the ecosystem like Google and Adobe and um, OpenAI have seen that these smaller companies have been suffocated from a financial point of view, they have now made their apps free. So DALI used to be a, a language model that you could only access through, um, through an API. Now that's available for free through Microsoft because Microsoft plugged in OpenAI after it wrote them a $10 billion check. And now when you go into what's now called Microsoft Copilot and no longer Microsoft Bing, the search part of it is powered by ChatGPT4 or 4Turbo in some cases. And the image creation part of it is created by DALI. So they're kind of like almost white label solutions or what they call powered by. And so very, very quick in this shift, we've seen the small players quickly get suffocated because the larger players like the Googles that have built multi-trillion dollar businesses by giving stuff away, like giving Gmail away and getting people on board are now doing the same thing with AI. So I that, that right there is one of the first things I need to explain to people and it's a lot to take in. But what I try to do is make sure that every single point where I'm communicating that to people, that every couple of sentences, 
there's something which is familiar to them where they nod and they go, yeah, that kind of makes sense because I understand that Gmail is kind of like a, a freebie to get me into the ecosystem that is Google or, you know, whatever the case may be. So so that's kind of the, the first thing that, that people need to know when it comes to like a state of the union. What's interesting about the Pi, um, well, when you spoke about Pi, is that it's, it does come down to the user very much about what they're going to get out of the AI. So, for example, if I'm going to Tuscany, I want all this information. And, you know, I'm going to Tuscany for this wedding. In order for that AI to be able to get the information, I need to be using all the various applications around it that it plugs into in the right way. So, yes, of course, things like Google searches and messages, as long as you give it all the permissions, that can pick up quite easily because it's very natural because you're always doing Google searches and sending messages. But if you go one level deeper, like from a business perspective, you need to be using your email in the right way. You need to be using your CRM in the right way so that it knows, okay, this many deals are at this stage. These are the people that you're speaking to in your pipeline. These are the interests that are related to your business. So maybe there's like, you know, business synopsis and activity and services and products that you plug into a central system that then the AI feeds off. So it very much comes down to the user being able to get the most out of that Pi, for example, and any other platform that comes after it by using the systems around it the right way. So forcefully going, okay, hold on a second. If I want to get the most out of this and I want it to link up every facet of my life, every facet of my life needs to be recorded and documented and managed properly. And I think that's also a big advantage and a big opportunity as well. Now, now not everyone's going to do it because not everyone uses the smart home system to do their lights and their temperature and their alarm and this that and the other, but that's how you get the most out of, you know, like a, a Google home or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. And in the context of using AI inside your business, AI could create a situation where nobody ever leaves your company again, even if they die. And what I mean by that is that if you've had a number of people as that have taken the role of sales manager over the course of, let's say, five years, AI will be able to go through all of their emails and every kind of way that they've closed a deal, every piece of language that they've used, every way that they've put phrases together on the phone, and then that will act as a co-pilot ready to meet the next sales manager. So the version of the future that I'm talking about is that you take on a role as director of this or vice president of that or CFO or CEO, and all of the insights and all of the great moves that every CEO that's ever made that sat in that chair before you will be available in an app which you can ask. So even if that CEO has died, you can effectively ask their poltergeist everything about what they did and then whereas they may have never said it explicitly ai can synthesize and triangulate how that person may have approached it which means that their approach or their personality or their way of doing their job lives forever and that's going to have a great compounding effect because the the, the enterprise world has never experienced compounding before it's like when somebody leaves they take their black book with them. They take their database with them. They take a lot of their moves and tactics with them. And, you know, we live in a world where most company policies say every email you send on company email belongs to the company. 
every call you make and the intellectual property shared belongs to the company. But that's never been harvested. Now it's going to be harvested, analyzed, synthesized, and then it's going to be something that the next person that, that, sit, that sits in that seat can query. And that's going to have a quantum impact on a company because you've never lost any intelligence as a result of the, the changing of human capital inside your organization. And once that starts to compound, you're going to have incredible people and incredible efficiency from the part of the organization where most of the efficiency is lost, which is human beings. It's like a perfect handover when someone leaves the company, right? It's just like AI will just generate the right handover because a handover fundamentally is is human historically. And that then depends on the human person putting together the most relevant and appropriate points to hand over that they believe are. But in this case, and you know, imagine what it does in terms of training. So you use a sales manager example. Imagine you, your best salespeople, your top three salespeople, over a period of time, leave the company, forget the contacts and network and all that for a second, it can go through all of their emails, transcribe it, analyze it and go, okay, these are the phrases. These are like the closing phrases that everyone's used. This is the structure of an email. This is how long it's been. So they can analyze the top three salespeople and go, okay, the average length of an email when introducing themselves is, you know, a hundred words and the most commonly used terms are x y and z and then you can start to use that in training and therefore every salesperson gets virtually trained by the best salespeople. but there's no human um you know bias it's all based on like fact right it's based on ai analysis now you need a human element obviously but but this does 80 percent of the work so now you're not kind of going, okay, well, how did you write that? And someone might go, I don't know, man, it's just magic. It's just the way I do it. And they've just got this innate ability to do it and very difficult to maybe analyze and actually kind of help people with. Now AI can just do that for you. So there's a hand that like, I'm talking very like granular here, but there's so many opportunities in that example that you gave. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that technology that you just described exactly exists today. I forgot the name of the company, but I heard about them speaking about it on All In. And they said that this is the this is the company software that literally just effectively compounds everything that a commercial department does and makes it ready for the new entrant. Because then when you think about it, typically in organizations, the human being and the knowledge that they possess, like in their mind, the tacit knowledge is the independent variable. Now AI has the ability to make the tacit knowledge explicit so that when the human leaves, the knowledge stays behind. And if you really extrapolate this out into a forever kind of world, it could be the case that if somebody from birth or from when they can speak is diarizing everything that they do, so somebody who is born today in 2024 is actively using AI in three years time, the same way that a modern three-year-old would actively use an iPad, well, by the time that person becomes, you know, in their world, 100, 110 years old and they die, everything about their personality is mapped in an AI, which means that they live forever. So then you will be able to access and have literal conversations with generations that have died, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago, because every single interaction that that person had whilst they were alive was with an AI that was harvesting their personality and making it available to future generations. So it will start off in enterprise, but it will then expand out into like a, a forever kind of world. And it won't start off with, you know, people's whole lives, but what it 
could start off with is an AI program that if somebody has been diagnosed with stage four cancer and they've got 18 months to live, they may choose to spend a lot of time, of course, with their family, but also having an AI present to make sure that the baby that's coming along two years after this person passes away has some sort of access to that person's knowledge, insights, and stories. So on that point, um, probably a good good segue actually to talk about uh, the next thing that businesses are really looking for, which is that how is it going to affect the bottom line? So a lot of companies are asking, like, ultimately, like, there's a lot of tools out here. And today's episode is not about tools and tactics and strat. You know, it's more about specifically, like, the strategy of how you deploy this this stuff. But people are trying to figure out, okay, can I get more from this employee when they're sat in this chair? Or can I get whatever I'm currently purchasing uh, and get it cheaper? So I had a very interesting moment uh, on one of my training calls where I asked somebody, you know, what are some of your concerns? And they said, well, one of my concerns is that we as an agency, uh, are we, a lot of stuff is outsourced to us. And we're worried that companies will outsource less work to us as they figure out how to do it themselves internally using AI, which will reduce how much we can build them. Seven hours later, at the end of the call, I showed her what Descripts can do. And she said, oh my God, I spend tens of thousands a year on audio post-production. I could probably do it in-house. And I said, now, 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 seven hours ago, you were talking about losing business as a result of people insourcing and not using your services. And now you're talking about insourcing services that you've been outsourcing. I said, you notice how like great power corrupts? Yeah, like, and she obviously everybody on the call like laughed, but ultimately like the first thing that people are looking for, especially if, your company books are going to be paying for these AI tools, which very much work on a SaaS model, like monthly subscription or credits or things of that nature. You're going to be thinking to yourself, okay, if I'm spending even a dime right now, how am I going to get any money back? And that that's even more so in 2024, where the good times are kind of over economically. And whilst things are still kind of moving up and to the right in terms of most economies in the world, there is, you know, we've, we've all lived, me and you and everybody, and for the last maybe two, two and a half years, in this constant fear that, hang on, there's a recession, which is this kind of like economical boogeyman that's still yet to jump out of, jump out from, you know, underneath the stairs, but could be there at any time, make people more conservative with their money. So that's one of the number one questions that people are asking today. So actually, just, just go in on that a little bit, because I'm curious to know if an agency is worried about losing work, or losing billable work because one of their clients can use Descript to do audio editing. Like, how do they use? I mean, how do they how do they tackle that? What's what's their approach to that? What would you advise? Most companies just want to be on the right side of that equation, the same way that we are. We've seen that people inside our organization that did not have certain skills before, with a little bit of assistance, have the skills. So a traditional workflow with me and you pre-2020 was that we'd both work on a video. You would do the project management and operations and locations and studios, and I would finish off the YouTube captions and write them by hand. And whilst I'm writing them by hand, be very conscious of keywords and metadata. Since GPT 3.5 has come along, I don't think I've written a description for a client. That's all been you. So it's not that you couldn't do it, and it's not that I was the only one that could do it. It just meant that Vic could always do it with a little help. 
from AI. So whether that AI is an actual GPT or whether it's just human intelligence, which is just me being like, nah, dude, just change that sentence. It's going to act now as a supplement, as a kind of like, it's, it's the testosterone shot that's going to give people additional capabilities that they did not have before. So the number one thing that companies are thinking are, the number one thing that companies are thinking about when it comes to AI is, how can I be on the right side of the equation where AI is giving skills to my team and my employees that they kind of had, but needed AI to unlock it. Now, on the flip side, there is a real thing happening at the moment, and it's a divide, but it's a very silent divide. It's almost like a gas being released in your house that you're not aware of that's eventually going to kill you. And that is that there is a current transfer of economic value and jobs happening directly between people that are using AI in their job and people that are not using AI in their job. And we've seen it before. We've seen people, I remember this very clearly, where people were saying, oh, you know how to use a typewriter, but you know how to use a word processor, which was effectively an electric typewriter. Then people were saying, oh, you know how to use a word processor, but do you know how to use a desktop computer? And then, you know, continue to move forward, move forward, move forward. So that's what's happening at the moment, which is that people are saying, when you join an organization, I understand what you're capable of as a human being, but I want to know what is the impact and the value you can generate inside my business if I take what you can do as a human being, multiply that by all of the information you have access to on the internet, and then multiply that again by the speed and the capability and the scale that AI offers you. So I remember 15 years ago, people would come into my office in Canada and be like, hey, Raj, you know the Sony Ericsson? Is it a is it three-hour charging time or a 3.5-hour charging time? And I remember at that time using the company printer to be like, have you Googled it and putting it on the glass door in my office? And people would then literally walk up to the door, see it and go, oh, and then turn around and walk the other way because they're like, hang on a second. This information that I'm used to talking, asking a superior about actually lives 24-7 somewhere else and I can save myself time and the superior time by going and getting that information myself. So companies want to see now that can they have a supercharged employee who takes the initiative to go and Google something, which is find the solution and then use AI to implement the solution if need be. And I think if you're not able to offer that, you are definitely like vulnerable right now. On, on the agency side, I mean, I agree with that. On the agency side, just kind of on my question, just, you know, what does, what does an agency do if their client has those capabilities in-house and they have the employees that are supercharged using AI and all of that kind of stuff. I think there's something that's really distinct here. So actually there's two things. The, the first one is that if you're losing this like phantom top line revenue because you believe that um, a client might not give you as much work because they can do more in-house because they're using AI. Well, if you're doing the same in your business, you're actually creating efficiencies. So just going back to the example that you just gave about writing copy, part of the reason why I didn't write copy for a YouTube description is not just about capability, because I had the capabilities you quite rightly said, maybe not as well as you at the time, is I also didn't have as much time to do it because I was doing so many other things. So so I was able to, you know, just balance out the workload between you and me. But 
using ChatGPT allows me to be able to do it because it gives me the actual time to be able to do it and increases my capability. So it's capacity and capability. So what's really important there is, is that, yeah, you might be losing a little bit of top line revenue, but if you're creating efficiencies, you're actually becoming more profitable or, you know, creating the same level of margin in your business because you've got more efficiency on a per head basis. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is that your client's job is to do what they do as a business. So if they're using AI to make their employees more efficient for their business, that's great because it allows you to go, okay, what else can we do for you? Because they're becoming more efficient, they're becoming more productive, hopefully growing, etc. So actually it's more of an opportunity. And the reality is if you're an agency, say your content strategy or your marketing agency, whatever it might be, your client's job is to do what they do. Your job is to do the marketing for them or to build out the marketing strategy or whatever it might be. They're not thinking about what you do day in, day out. You are. So actually, it's not really a threat. It's actually a really big opportunity because if they're becoming more efficient, you're becoming more efficient. Actually, the rising you know the rising tide will lift both boats. So I, don't, I actually don't think it's a threat at all. I think it's a good thing. I think but most, most agencies and freelancers are much more small-minded than that. So I agree with you. I've always said that your job as an agency, for the most part, especially as a small to medium-sized agency, your job as a small to medium-sized boutique creative agency is to put yourself out of work. If you can solve your client's problems, elevate them, you know what happens in business. There's no end to capitalism. There's no like ceiling. When your clients are more capable and they're achieving bigger things and generating bigger margins, firstly, they'll look at you and say, Clearly, it was because of this agency's help that we were able to get to where we got to. Now that we're here, how do we go further? So your job is to move up the mountain with your client and find new ways to offer them value as their altitude changes. Because the higher they go, actually, the more you're going to need. Like when you think about the people that help people go up mountains, they offer different levels of support from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain. If you walk with somebody up a mountain, you assist them, let's say like you do in South Africa or whatever, at the bottom of the mountain, you're just, you know, having a chat, getting to know them, telling them about the trail, keeping them kind of motivated. Midway up through the mountain, you're giving them some push and some more motivation. At the top of the mountain, you're handing them Gatorade and, you know, telling, showing them places where they can rest. Your job is to be in sync with your client and find ways of offering relevant types of value. So if you feel like AI is already going to, diminish the value that you offer, then it is a real threat. It means that what you've got is not idiosyncratic enough. If AI can replace what you do, you've got to be, you've got to find new things to do. Well, at some level, that's the limit of your capabilities of helping them as well. So if you can't increase the value and rise with them, but then that's okay as well. If that's the limit of your capabilities, if you're like super niche and super narrow in what you do, then so be it. You can only take them so far. And then it's got to be handed off. It's like when they talk about, you know, c CEOs that take you from, you know, zero to five and then CEOs that take you from five to 50 and then CEOs that, you know, like you have a different type of person leading the organization depending on where the business is. It's the same thing with agencies and all that kind of stuff. So when when you're doing these, when, when, you're, when you're teaching people and I, you te you've taught a number of times and many people in those individual instances. So you've got a really good kind of 
understanding of what people are looking for. So when, when people want to learn about AI, I guess the question is, why are they going on the courses? What are they trying to get out of it? What are they trying to learn? They, they firstly want to figure out how big an impact it is, which is what is the state of the union, as we spoke about. Then it's a case of how will it affect like the roles inside the organization. But what's really interesting about what companies and brands are looking to figure out at the moment is that many of them are already somewhat on their content journey. So when they come onto an AI-enabled content production journey, it means that they're already familiar with content production. None of the people on the programs that I'm teaching are there to be baptized to the church of social media. They are already putting out LinkedIn posts, blogs, email newsletters. One of the things that they're looking for is, if I put AI on top of what I'm currently doing, can I get a higher yield? So for example, is there a newsletter that I'm writing at the moment that's been going out efficiently and effectively every single Tuesday for the last four years, but my LinkedIn posts only go out once every month? How can AI take the content from my newsletter and repurpose it for my executive committee? So if you've got a classic executive committee, which is like uh, your CEO, your CFO, and your COO, and the CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, how can what we put out as a marketing department to our end users and our consumers every single week like clockwork in our newsletter inspire linkedin updates for the c c c suite where a lot of our bigger customers and a lot of our investors are looking on linkedin so content repurposing and effectively like stretching the content that they're already making is what what people are really really looking for effectively they're cutting right they're cutting content that they're doing well and trying to figure out other places that that content can go using AI. And typically, pre-chat GPT, that was all a human process. So you say to somebody, hey, here's our newsletter. Our department's done it. Making it a LinkedIn status for the CEO is not my job. So we're going to hire somebody whose job it is. Now, with AI, it can just as easily be part of my job because I have the high-level capability I don't have the capacity, but I don't need as much capacity to use AI to make this work for me. And so that's one of the areas where you're seeing companies are really putting a lot of their effort and energy right now. So it's really just about kind of, at this point, it's really about optimization because it look, because although, although like AI is and can be and will be very advanced using the pie example that you gave earlier, we're just not there yet as consumers, right? We're just not there as kind of users of AI at this stage, I think people are just trying to get around the fact that if I can prove, it's, it's like saying, so if I can prove my worth in my job under normal circumstances, AI is a potential threat. How can I prove my worth in my job? And I'm using the job example with AI to be that, to, to show that I'm more efficient, better, quicker, faster, you know, whatever it might be. Would that be a fair, like a fair way of putting it? I think when it comes to consumers, most consumers don't realize that they're using AI. And a lot of, there's a lot today of unconscious AI users. So for example, in the last two weeks, I was talking to you actually, Vic, about this as it was happening. I was responding to an email and it went from just giving me the next word or offering me to remove a word or change the grammar to taking me four or five words down the sentence and effectively finishing that sentence. Now on my Gmail app, 
at around the halfway mark of a sentence, AI has figured out real time where I'm going and offers me more times than not the end of the sentence that I would have gone with or sometimes even slightly better. So you hit return and it's done. So what's going to happen is that's going to be a gateway drug for most people to start using AI and they're just looking at it as autocorrect or autocomplete. But once they then start seeing that inside an environment like Word or where it's putting together complex calculations inside of Excel, and then the brands themselves, the Microsofts and the Google start saying, by the way, we're doing this with AI. You've already been benefiting it from the last 18 months. We're just telling you that it's AI right now. Please be open to anything else that we put the letter AI next to. And then you're going to see like, uh, you know, adoption at scale. Today, specifically in 2024, there's still a lot of companies that are just putting .ai at the end of their name, the same way that we had in the .com era, which is that, you know, we're now the name of our company plus a .com at the end. We're not actively doing anything in terms of like web. So, you know, me and you have got a very successful friend who's a huge investor in Africa and originally uh, 15 years ago started a restaurant booking company and it was a dot-com company and the country went mad for it and started using it and i was talking to him i was like man this technology is really in its infancy here in london and the us how have you managed to pull this off uh, in your country and he said they're just a series of web forms that go to a human being the human being calls the restaurant books it and then replies back to the web form but as far as the user's concerned they're just interfacing with the web and although it's a sellotape together minimum viable product the user experience is the same now once we automate it with pos systems and booking systems inside restaurants and it all happens real time that's only going to make the experience better but what we're trying to do right now is teach the human being to make their restaurant booking on their computer rather than pick up the phone and even though somebody's picking up the phone on the other end of their computer we'll eventually stitch all that together so you know it's uh we, we've seen this happen before 20 years ago it didn't work out great for those companies but what i like about what we're doing as we transition from creative content agency to contentstrategy.ai is there's a double shift there. One is we're going from an agency that does everything under the sun when it comes to agency stuff, it, whether it be just acting as an agent between somebody with needs and somebody with supply, to actually saying, okay, there's parts of our day-to-day -day business where AI was not before that it is now. So the fact that we are saying to people that if you do want to have a free consultation with us, you need to know that the consultation is going to be transcribed, analyzed by AI, and that's going to give us insights to then make our business more presentable and more efficient when we talk to consumers, helping us narrow down on who our perfect future avatar customer is. That right there is something that content strategy AI is doing that creative content agency never did. And then, of course, the fact that we're actually like literally teaching people which AI tools are going to make them more efficient to leverage the content strategies that we taught them. So we go back to our clients and say, hey, listen, four or five years ago, we got your podcast off the ground or your video series off the ground, or we got you used to short form content. Well, now here is a shot in the arm that's going to take what you were doing and take it up a whole other level. And many of our former clients, which we encourage them to do after leaving us, go and build their own internal teams. Well, now those people are deployers of money and human capital. So if they don't, figure out how to get the efficiency from their content production team, then they can't get the most out of the money that they're spending. And they can't be like, well, I'm the creator and they're my team. No, you're also the one that pays them their salary. So you can't ignore the efficiency 
that AI might give the people that are on your payroll to get more content out for you quicker, which then ultimately ends up feeding the machine that you are ultimately there to run, whether it be law, real estate, or whatever the case may be. All right. So there's a lot to digest for people, I think, so far. We've yeah, we should wrap four, up. Yeah, we've gone 40 minutes on AI, but I do have one more question on this um, before we do. And there's one more topic that I wanted to speak about real quick. So let's assume you have a room full of people. Let's call them our ex-clients, actually. It's a good kind of um, avatar to, to ask this question against. So we've got a room full of our ex-clients. They're all sitting there. And you've kind of said to them, all right, come, I want to talk to you a little bit about AI. Right? We're familiar. You know our content strategy program. You've been through the machine. You've built your own teams, this, that, and the other, whatever it might be. Come, let's talk about AI. Imagine they don't use any form of AI. What's the two to three minute breakdown that you would give them? Like, how would you say to them to start? Not not a state of the union, because we've already gone through that. Not how it impacts businesses or how it impacts them, because we've gone through that. And let's just assume they know all of that. If they would say say to you, right, like, okay, I need to start using it. What's your response? And this would be for like, I guess, relevant for anybody. Any content creator that's got momentum so far in building their content platform out and deploying their strategy does not necessarily today have to start thinking about how AI is going to help them moving forward. I think that's the thing that every single AI influencer and prompt influencer and hacker online is talking about right now, how to put more out, how to do more, more, more. I think one of the most interesting things that a current creator can do, including our former clients, is to have AI retrospectively analyze what they've put out because people forget how much guesswork was put in to the content they've put out. And all of our clients have had these moments where they're like, I thought this would be the best piece of content ever. Give me a massive ROI directly. It wasn't. However, I put something really casual out and it did. And so having AI go through the all of the hoarding of content that is done on your platforms. Like, you know, YouTube is an infinite closet of all of the content you've ever put out. And you know how stuff can build up in your closet. Well, sending AI into that closet to say, hey, listen, retrospectively analyze all of my thumbnails, retrospectively analyze all of my YouTube titles, retrospectively analyze all of my YouTube descriptions, retrospectively reanalyze all of my metadata. If it then comes back and refurbishes your back catalog and that back catalog becomes more efficient, immediately you're going to see an ROI without having to put out any new content. Those tools currently exist. And I think that's going to be a huge opportunity because if you say to me that I can deploy an AI tool on work that I've already done, rather than use an AI tool in a workflow that I'm about to do, I think I'll take it retrospectively. I would 100% right now spend 250 to 500 US dollars to have an AI go through my YouTube, redo all of my descriptions, all of my thumbnails, and all of my YouTube uh, titles so that almost overnight, the YouTube algorithm goes, wow, this is relevant content. I don't care where it's from. I'm going to start suggesting it again. That right there is an immediate ROI. That is a use case right now that all of our former clients and anybody who is more than six months into their content journey can do immediately. And I'm just talking about YouTube because YouTube loves to recommend stuff from nine years ago, 10 years ago. It does it on relevance and interest. But as Spotify starts becoming like a search engine, 
if you could redo all of your podcasts and and you could press an AI button that would transcribe everything you've ever said in any Spotify podcast and then redo your chapters and descriptions and meta tags and then go back and put in things like, you know, questionnaires. So let's say you've just discovered um, Seinfeld on Tim Ferriss right now and it goes back and puts all the chapters in and then it does a little quiz that you can take part in after watching, after listening to the audio. That's going to be massively beneficial for Tim Ferriss especially if every single time you fill that quiz in, you drop your email address in, now that's helping his newsletter. So yeah, I think that's an insight that no one's thinking about that is really a really smart place to start, especially for an existing creator. Yeah, I think that's that's genius actually. We, we've actually never, that, that's not something that you and I have really discussed. I think that's a great, that's a great way to approach it. It's like retrospectively look at what you've done. It's not uncommon, it's not unfamiliar. Everyone kind of analyzes their results and things like that and go, okay, how do we double down or improve or whatever? It's, it's a great way to do it. And now it's like, takes the guesswork out of it, you know? Yeah, cool, man. Absolutely. I, think, I think, I think, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of that. Um, there is one more topic that I actually wanted to jump on real quick to spend a two, three minutes on. That's my friends, your friends. I think, uh, we can't do another podcast recording until my friends, your friends is done without mentioning it. So. We launched on Saturday, which was our early bird and general release went out on Monday. The event is on February the 21st at Media One Hotel, 6 to 9 p.m. And we're already over half of our ticket registration capacity gone. And it's only been five days. So I'm, I'm really, really, really pleased with that. So anyone that kind of wants to get involved and attend, go to myfriendsyourfriends.com and you know, click on the register button and get yourself registered for free. It's going to be a really special event. And I'm really, really, really pleased with the numbers. The, 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 the response has been really amazing. Really good this, this, this time around. Yeah, pay, pay extra attention to what Vic just said. We're past the halfway mark of registrations. We still have two weeks to go. We don't normally launch a My Friends, Your Friends until a week before the day that we do the event. We are at the half capacity mark two weeks before the event. This is before all of the folks from around the world land in Dubai, step conference. This is before the natural pickup of registrations that you get a day to two days before the event. This is before all of the co-hosts go, hey, can you get this person in? Can you get this person in? If you don't act now, you can pretty much guarantee that you won't get in. Please head over to myfriendsyourfriends.com right now, register get yourself a ticket, at least you have the option of coming to my friends, your friends. We understand that there's always going to be a no-show because it's Dubai and it's a big long line and sometimes downtown folks can't make it to Media City and vice versa, but this is one that you don't want to miss. My friends, your friends, 20, 20 co-hosts, some of the most recognizable entrepreneurs and creators in the world that have been featured on the huge platforms that affect culture today, including Diary of a CEO, Stephen Barlett, some of the people that are out there completely changing the game when it comes to creativity, entrepreneurship, professionalism, food and beverage, health and wellness. Don't miss out. Head over to myfriendsyourfriends.com right now. It's happening 21st of February, which is a Wednesday night from 6 p.m. at the incredible Media One Hotel on the rooftop, poolside, great drinks, entry is free, first drink is free. Happy hour all night. Act now. That's it. We're done. That was a good, that was a good episode. I was really pleased with that. Do you have any shout outs that you want to give to anyone? 
probably, but not that I can think of right now, because I'm I'm already thinking about as soon as we get off this call and send the footage to Alex that I've only got you for another hour and ten, and there's so much work we need to smash out before Dude, before you it, head offline. It's actually another ten minutes. So I said two oh, and a half. Okay. I said two and a half hours, two two hours and twenty minutes ago, but it's all good. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, we'll 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 get we'll get nine and a half minutes of work done. Thanks everyone for uh, listening to this episode. I hope you find it u- useful. I think because Vic and I are remote right now, we're probably just going to take one subject and go all in on it. Uh, and also, this effectively, there's also like less going on in terms of like cool stuff, right? Like you're more at home running everything, and obviously GM of the business now. And I'm in London where it's just shitty weather and there's just no reason to go outside. So I'm not even really in the streets like that doing wild stuff. I'm more at home just working. So uh, thanks to everybody who listened. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give us a five-star rating on Spotify. That really does help uh, rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, YouTube gang, we made this for you. We know that this is where a lot of our consumption is. And so please hit that subscribe button. We've seen the numbers go up again recently. We really appreciate it. Leave us a comment if you found this valuable. And do me a favor, especially do that for us, especially give us some sort of engagement on our big platforms. If Vic or I or anybody in our company DM'd you this episode because we thought it was useful for you. If we WhatsApp you this episode, if we specifically took time out of our day to last mile deliver it to a platform where we know you're paying attention like WhatsApp or somewhere like that, and you found it useful and you think it deserves a comment, a little bit of engagement, on these platforms really helps us go a long way. All right, Vic, thanks so much for today. Thank you, man. That's it. I I like this format. We should uh, just keep going on. I love this format. Brilliant. And we'll do it again all uh, in a few days' time. Talk to you soon. Peace.